Let me pray for us before we have a look together at John chapter 20. Lord God, we thank you for this Easter weekend. We thank you for the great joy it is to meet as your people and to rejoice in the wonderful death and resurrection of your Son. Father, we pray now as we open your word again tonight and reflect again on the wonderful victory that he has won for us, that we would see it anew. Father, we pray that we would see him and trust him. Amen. Let me start with a couple of quotes that for some will be well known. Uh, To me they're not. They were before my time and uh, in another part of the world. But for some they might be instantly recognisable. This morning I had another talk with the German Chancellor, Herr Hitler. And here is the paper which bears his name upon it as well as mine. We regard the agreement signed last night in the Anglo-German Naval Agreement as symbolic of the desire of the two peoples never to go to war with one another again. Second quote, same man. My good friends, this is the second time in our history that there has come back from Germany to Downing Street. Peace with honour. I believe it is peace for our time. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts And now I recommend you go home and sleep quietly in your beds. Two amazing quotes heralding news of peace, lasting peace, safety, freedom, being able to sleep quietly in your beds. They are the words of Neville Chamberlain, Prime Minister, and they are words spoken in 1938. Rarely has something been so loved, so cherished in this world as peace. Rarely has something been so elusive and so fleeting as peace in this world. The same man, less than a year later, said these words. This morning, the British ambassador in Berlin handed the German governor a final note stating, unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock, that they were prepared to at once withdraw their troops from Poland, a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received and that consequently this country is at war with Germany less than one year later than the other quotes. Peace, we love it, we long for it, but getting it and keeping it, well that's another story, isn't it? Peace in our time, that's what he said. It's a myth, a rumour, a story parents tell their children The great human hope is that this time, in this place, in this generation, things will be different, that we will have peace in our time. But it always seems to prove a burden too big for any generation to carry and so we pass it on to the next, hoping they'll be able to do it. 21st century, we live in a world that each day becomes more and more advanced. We know more than our parents did, or at least we think we do, We can do things faster than them. We have a greater lesson book in history than they do. We have bigger armies, bigger resources, bigger bank balances. But peace is no closer than it ever was. Are we destined to fail? Are we destined to live in a world characterised by hostility and fear and terror? Is that our lot? Well, the Bible's answer at Easter is no. That is not our lot. If you were here this morning as we uh, rejoiced in Easter morning together, 
We saw that there is hope even beyond death as we saw the risen Jesus conquer our greatest enemy, our last enemy, the Bible says, even death. Easter night shows us that there is hope even beyond hostility, that there is hope for a peace that will last. You know, centuries before that first Easter day, the prophet Isaiah spoke of this hope in the passage we had read out earlier, Isaiah chapter 9. He said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And so the Bible says, while some trust in chariots and some in horses to deliver peace, those who trust in the Lord, those who trust in the risen Lord, can know that he can deliver this promise, peace in our time. What we're going to do tonight, just for a few moments, is we're going to look at just three short verses in John's Gospel that show us how this mission of a peace that will last was carried out and delivered by our mighty God. So it's worth, if you haven't got it open, turning to John chapter 20, verses 19 to 21. That's what we're going to be looking at for a few moments. John 20, 19 to 21, which is page 1089 of the Church Bibles. As we get to John 20, verse 19 onwards, it's still Easter Day, the start of the week, but now it's night time. And if you read uh, John's Gospel, uh, by this stage the disciples are huddled together in a room. There's probably ten of them, obviously minus Judas, and we're told minus Thomas as well. By this stage in John's Gospel, both the Apostle John and Mary have come to believe in the risen Jesus. They have seen him. They have come to trust in him. And yet for the rest of them, this reality, this great truth of the Easter morning is yet to sink in. And so given this, when we come across this group, they are gripped with fear, fear for their lives. It's not surprising, is it? If they don't know yet the reality of the the risen Lord, that he has done as he said he would do, then they've lots to fear. The authorities have killed their leader, they could easily be next. And so they've hidden themselves away in a room and they've locked the door. That's where we find them in John 20 verse 19. And it's into this context, into this room, this fear that the risen Lord Jesus enters miraculously. In the same way his body had passed through the burial clothes as if they weren't there earlier that day, now he passes through the locked door as if it wasn't there. And standing among them he makes his wonderful, joyful declaration. Do you see it there? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And with that, everything changes. Everything. You know, it's easy to miss the significance of these words. I mean, for us to hear peace be with you, we can hear it so often, especially in a a church context, that they can wash straight over us. I mean, it's a bit like a greeting, isn't it? Uh, you might as well, he might have well, have, if he was an Australian, just walked into the room and said, G'day, how are you going? It doesn't, it doesn't really uh, hit us, does it? I'm not sure what the English equivalent is, cheerio chats or, or something like that. <laughs> but that, that's the sort of impression, if you first read it, it's just like he's walked in and he said, Hello, how are you going? 
but with these words uttered from the mouth mouth of God's risen son, Jesus, the world hears for the first time an authentic declaration of peace. Peace be with you. But to understand these words, to understand what they are implying, we need to understand what peace really is. Because the problem with our world that desperately longs for peace but seems always to fall short is we don't even know what it looks like. It's like we've got a sort of a bad cold and you know when you've got a bad cold you lose all sense of taste, all food sort of tastes the same. But that's what our world becomes like, that we don't even know what peace would taste like, what it would be like to have it. What would it mean to have peace, to, to live peacefully? Well, this week uh, in my attempt to research what our world thinks of peace, I did what I always do when I do research. I'm a, I'm a man of the modern era. I went to Google and I typed in the word peace to see what uh, it would come up with and it came up with thousands and thousands of sites uh, talking about this word. But uh, amongst them, one of the first I came across seemed oddly out of place. The site, and it's well worth visiting, howtodisturbthepeace.com, howtodisturbthepeace.com. An odd site, I'm not sure what sort of mind was behind it, but it basically gives a list of if you were planning to disturb the peace, here are some of the ways that you could really annoy the people around you. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me give you a few of the examples that came up with in case uh, you're planning to do it. If uh, you're going to pay some road tolls, pay every road toll you come across with a £50 note. Uh, if someone asks for directions, give them the directions but leave out a crucial turn or two along the way. Before exiting an elevator, push all the buttons. <laughs> Develop at least three strategies for cutting in front of someone in a line. Chew other people's pens. Wear large hats in movie cinemas. Tell people randomly that they have bad breath. Shake with your left hand. Drum on every available surface. Staple papers in the middle of the page. When going through the drive-thru at McDonald's, always specify clearly as many times as you can, that's takeaway, please. Honk and wave at strangers. Change the channel five minutes before the end of every show. Buy large quantities of orange traffic cones and reroute entire streets. <laughs> Reply to everything someone says with, that's what you think. And smile all the time. An odd list and that's just a sampling well worth visiting. I'm not sure, as I said, what sort of mind would come up with this sort of list. But there it is. And as I was looking down this list, it occurred to me that that's kind of like our world's idea of peace. When we try to understand what peace is, all we can come up with is it's the absence of bad stuff. It's the absence of maybe the sort of annoying person that would do some of the things on this list or it's the absence of stress, peace and quiet, the absence of fighting. For us, as good as peace gets is not having bad things. But when the Bible talks about peace, it's not just talking about removing that which is annoying or stressful or even removing fighting. It's talking about the, the Old Testament word for peace is shalom. It's about well-being in the fullest sense. It's a concept that gathers up every blessing you can possibly imagine from God and it bundles it together. That's what peace is. And right at the heart of it, right at the heart of what God means when he talks about peace is good 
relationships. That's what peace is. To experience peace, to experience shalom is to flourish in all of one's relationships with God, with each other, with creation and even within ourselves. You see, peace goes beyond the absence of hostility and fear to fulfilment, to enjoyment, to good relationships. And right at the heart of this promise, right at the heart of God's promise that he would bring peace that would last to this world is his promise to repair the big relationship which is broken in our lives, the one between him and us. You know, as far as the Bible is concerned, right back in Genesis 3 it says this, it is this relationship and the breakdown of this relationship, our lack of peace with God, that sends all other relationships we have into a tailspin. Our relationship with each other, our relationship with our world and even within ourselves. And therefore the Bible says it is this relationship healed that will be the catalyst for restoration in any other area of our lives. We saw it in Isaiah 9 as we saw this great promise of a child who would come, who would be the Prince of Peace. A couple of chapters later in Isaiah 11 we see that God is promising to reverse all the traditional animosities all the things we get used to in this world will be undone. He would bring bring peace to the nations. God would do it because we could not. And so in John chapter 20 verse 19, Jesus declares that that longed for day has come. It is he who came to bring peace to this world and having been raised from the dead, he now declares that that great mission has been fulfilled. But how do we know this one can deliver? How do we know that he will succeed where all others have failed? That this declaration of peace is authentic? We'll have a look at verse 20 and see the evidence, see the sign of peace. I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you think of a peace sign, whether it's that that thing that kind of looks like that or whether it's the, the two fingers in the air or whatever it might be. See the sign of peace that John 19 verse 20 gives us. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Here we have the true sign of peace. The very hands and side of the crucified Jesus. The one who is able to deliver peace, the one who is able to declare it and mean it is the crucified Lord Jesus. You see, before the very foundation of the world, this was God's plan. This was how he planned to deliver peace, the death of his son. It is how he was going to break down the wall of hostility between him and us, as Ephesians 2 tells us. The very source of the restoration of our relationship with God is the wounds in the hands and side of Jesus The Easter message is very simple. Peace has come because God has forgiven us. Forgiveness has come because Christ has been crucified. So simple, isn't it? And yet for the first time our world can have peace where it really matters. What an amazing thought. Where is the great hope for peace in our world? Is it in the halls of the United Nations? Is it in the might of, say, the US military? 
or perhaps the wisdom of history. Maybe we can learn from our mistakes in the past and that's where we will find peace. No. I mean, if we were to learn anything from the wisdom of history, it would, if it would teach us anything, it would teach us that the wells we humans draw from when we try to find peace, they're poisoned. You know what Romans 3 tells about the human story, the human history? It says the way of peace they don't know. The way of peace they don't even know. What hope have we of establishing peace on this earth if we don't even know the way? We don't know the map. We don't know how to get there. We can line up our best diplomats, our most powerful weapons, our wisest words, but we don't even know the way. So I was thinking about that this week. It reminded me of, uh, I'm not sure if it's an Australian saying or whether you've got it here too, but uh, the saying is, all the gear but no idea. You got that saying? I'm getting a lot of blank faces. I'm going to have to explain it. Now really the, the absolute image of all the gear but no idea is a golf course. If you can imagine a person on a golf course who has just absolutely all the gear you could possibly need for golf, the perfect outfit, the most expensive clubs, these great shoes, he's got it all. And then he sort of lines up on the first tee and he takes forever examining his shot and preparing it in his mind, draws back and then the ball dribbles about a metre down the, the course and this occurs for 18 holes. There is all the gear but no idea. The person who seems to have everything they could possibly need but has no idea what they're doing. When the Bible talks about us, when God looks at us, that is what he sees when it comes to peace. All the gear but no idea. But God is not like us. See the sign of peace he offers us. See the absolute guarantee of peace he offers us, the wounds of the crucified Jesus His disciples see it and they rejoice. God has done just as he said he would. He has brought peace through the blood of his son. As Ephesians 2 says, he himself is our peace. And so before we finish, let me say two things that you should know about Easter night, two very important things, especially if you are someone who is not at peace with God tonight. These are two things you need to know about Easter night. The first is, You need to know how God feels about our world. One of the accusations that levelled at God when we see how far from peace our world world is, when we see all the the trouble our world is in, is that why isn't God doing something about it? What What does God think about our world? You need to know how God feels about our world this Easter night. Easter's nearly over for another year, just a few hours left. Well, before the night passes, hear clearly God's message to his world. Hear what he longs for his world. Peace be with you. This is his dream. This is his goal for our world. Restoration, peace. It's his mission. It's what Easter is all about. He wants this world to be back with him. In fact, it's the only reason Jesus came. The only reason he was here with us on earth. All throughout John's Gospel, if you look carefully, it's so central to everything Jesus does. He keeps saying that he has been sent. That's his job. He's the sent one. And this is huge for our understanding of how God feels about us. Hear how John 3 speaks about it. For God so loved his world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn it, but to save it through him. God's way is the way of peace. It's the only way he knows and he knows we know nothing of it. And so he sends his son and he has now secured through the wounds of his son a new relationship. Peace be with you, he declares. You need to know how God feels about our world. He loves it enough to send his son. And secondly, and perhaps more importantly for you tonight, you need to know how God feels about you. You see, the problem with uh, discussions about peace more often than not in our world, is they're always on an international scale. They're always about trouble in the Middle East or that sort of thing. They're they're never down where we're at in our homes, in our lives. You need to know what this Easter night says about how God feels about you. God wants you to be at peace with him. In fact, he wants nothing more for you than that, to relate with you once again. And he's gone to extraordinary lengths to win you back. Listen how Luke 15 describes the way God feels about you personally. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and you lose one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. God has gone to extraordinary lengths to be at peace with you. Easter night is nearly over. Are you at peace with God? You may have come here tonight unaware that that was an important question, unaware tonight that it was even a question uh, relevant to you. Well, let me say, from God's perspective, it is desperately important, that question, because God so loved you that he gave his one and only son so that if you trust him, you will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn you but to save you through him. You might have come here tonight unsure whether you're at peace with God. You can be sure. Easter gives us all the evidence we'll need. The sign that peace has come, the hands and the side of the risen Jesus Christ. These words were written so that you could be sure. These words were written so that you could be at peace. Those who trust in him can be sure of his forgiveness, sure of a new start, sure of a new relationship with God. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is much rejoicing in the presence of angels of God in heaven over one sinner who repents. Easter night is nearly over. Nothing would please heaven and the God of heaven more than you be at peace with him. Peace be with you. Let's pray.